Nation. All right, what's happening? Welcome into the Buff Station podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. Joined in studio. The uh, they're back. They're back in town. Jared, Ryan, how are you, how are you guys doing? Doing great. I leave for one week, and this yeah. is what happens. Yeah, Jared, yes, Jared was in Hawaii. We'll get some Hawaii I, stories. Which, when we get there, up here. this this almost ruined my trip. Well, this I, game. I, I don't doubt it. Look, <laughs> you're up twenty nine nothing at halftime. Uh, Buffs lose forty six forty three at home. Like I said, after having a big first half lead, so we'll talk about that. And it's a bye week, so just kind of go going to go over the season up to this point so far. Uh, look at the Pac-12 in general, and then a quick look at the final five games of the season. But let's start there. Reaction to Stanford. I mean, obviously. So can I tell my story but, real quick? So yeah, yeah. So story time. for uh, those who listened last week, Tyler let everyone know I was in Hawaii. Beautiful, beautiful, by the way. Expensive, but beautiful. <laughs> it was fantastic. How was the plane ride? That, I've never uh, been to Hawaii okay, before. I I, I'm going to give some this. advice for those people who have gone to Hawaii before. Mm-hmm. Typically in the past, up until maybe five years ago, they pretty much only offered the red-eye flight home. For those of you who are not bougie like me, what you know need to know about a red-eye flight, this is the overnight flight. You are flying through the course of the night. When you say not bougie like you, you mean not bougie because you are bougie or not bougie because you are bu- Are you bougie or not? Oh, I'm bougie. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm bougie. Not a lot of people go to Hawaii every couple of years. I am spoiled, and I will say I uh, years, family wow. with the timeshare, so I get I get pretty spoiled. Mm-hmm. I get to go out to, to Hawaii for uh, pennies on the dollar. So the red-eye fly overnight, I'm a six-foot tall man. There is no way when you're flying coach for a six-foot tall man to sleep in the chair that you are provided on a flight. It is miserable trying to sleep overnight on a flight back from Hawaii. So we actually booked the morning flight out of Hawaii. Fantastic. So much better. Yes, you lose a day of your vacation. You you lose that last day. But I actually arrived in Denver feeling like it was the appropriate time and day. And I didn't feel like I tried to spend a night with no sleep. It's hard. It's just don't do the red eye flight, guys. Mm -hmm. Do the morning flight. That's my lesson. But I left Saturday morning, 8 a.m. flight. So what was I doing Friday night as this game's going on? We're doing our last times out at the beach. You know, I just happened, you know, we're four hours behind. So this game for me, it was packed 12 yeah, before four. dark. It was packed 12 <laughs> before dark. It was, was fantastic. Four o'clock a right? time. And I see the last thing I see before we go to dinner is the touchdown to put them up 29 nothing. And I'm like, sweet. Mm. Can check out from this one. I got a lot going on tonight. Got to pack my bag. Got to be ready. I'm already a few cocktails deep. So, you know, we got to kind of refocus some efforts here. So, we kind of tuned out from the game, right? A lot of people well, in Boulder packed their bags too. I should also mention, I should also mention that I am in Hawaii with my in-laws who live in Fort Collins. They are CSU fans. So, they reveled in the I, the fact of bringing up to me, "Oh, hey. Uh, Jared, you may want to you may want to flip this CU game back on. It's it's getting close." It's getting close. It's now 29 to 26. And I'm like, nah, you know, I'll see you take care of business, you know. And sure enough, I get done packing my bag and and we're on the last drive. And, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll I guess I'll turn it on. I guess I'll see what happens. Uh, last drive of, of regu- regulation. And so, of course, I watched Stanford score, tie the game. Well, now I'm sucked in. I got to watch overtime. Watch what unfolds in overtime, the frustration, everything that happens along the way. This is like the absolute worst way you can end a vacation. I literally couldn't oh sleep that night. Going into my then flight out of there, it was so awful. It was it just irritated me so much. Guys, this loss stings. This stings. This is in my mind by far the worst loss of the season for the Buffs. 
And this is one that I worst fear. Loss, worst loss in a while, it seems like. I fear that we're going to look back on this early December and go, man, this is the game that prevented us from going to a bowl. This is it right here. And, and, and actually what I really fear even more is that this is going to be that game that makes this season unravel. You I will, look at the rest of the season. Well, look, we'll, we'll talk <sighs> macro point of view in the, the future of the season in a moment, but let's focus on this game and just how things happen. Because obviously, 29 nothing, and then they end up losing 46-43. But, you know... I don't know. I don't know if we should spend time and break this down. You know, sometimes it may, be, it may be as easy as focus and determination, and they let it slip a little bit. I mean, everyone said that. Coach Prime said that. Shadour said that. It was just kind of – well, Shadour said he was locked in. But, you know, you could kind of see here in his answers in the post-game press conference that they'd never been in a situation like that before. They didn't know how to handle it, really. He said he was locked in, but was admitting that they didn't know how to handle it. So it could be as simple as that. I mean, the coaches, the players. Now, on Well Off Media, the YouTube channel, they showed the halftime uh, speeches and discussions the coaches were having. And it sounded like they were saying all the right things. I mean, they were being really intense. This was not a hindsight after the game. Coach Prime saying, oh, no, we told them that we were on them at halftime. They were. Like, you saw it on on YouTube. You saw the video. They were strictly saying, this is 0-0. Go out there. you got to keep going. And the players simply didn't. And from real good football X's and O's people, right? I, I listened to Joel Klatt talk about this, um, ex-players, ex-coaches, and it was a, it was an obvious series of errors, offensive line, uh, 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 defensive line, just, just mental mistakes, you know? And it wasn't all, a lot of, the, the coaching staff got a lot of blame, but I'm not sure that's the way oh, to go. I, I 100% disagree. I am absolutely very upset with this coaching staff. Okay, but let's start with Charles Kelly on the defensive that's side That's the of one I'm pointing the finger but at. But hold on, on Jared. What, what, you can't ignore the first half the game. The first 30 minutes of the game, Stanford had zero points. The defense was... This is not, this is not singular to this game. This is a trend over the course of the season. They're inability or unwillingness to adjust what they are doing defensively to counter what is being thrown at them from the offense. We saw this in the CUSU game, right? What was it? Drag route after drag route after drag route after drag route. They had no answer. They did nothing to adjust to try to counter it. This game, it's the slants. It's the slants. It's the slants. They never at any point, give me a linebacker dropping into coverage. Give me some bracket coverage. Give me a safety dropping in the box. Give me inside technique okay, but, from but, a receiver preventing but, or from but, a corner Coach preventing Prime, that. Coach Brown talked about this after the CSU game because all the Rams kept doing over and over were those uh, the drag routes, right? And Coach Brown said, yeah, we knew what they're doing. We see what you're seeing. They're doing drag after drag after drag after drag. We know it's coming. We all know because it's coming. Like you know, it's coming. The players aren't executing. So, see, I I, I don't know. I, I I feel like at a certain point you can't point the finger and say the players aren't executing. We are seven games into this season. You are what you are. This no. team is what they are. I mean, no, I get that. It, it, it's frustrating to see this defense get beat seemingly the same way over and over. I, I, I think my frustration with with Charles Kelly and which, with the way they're calling this defense is that he's calling it like he's got five stars across the board. And he doesn't. He doesn't have that group of guys there. So he needs to That's adjust true. what he is doing with this defense to stop it. Frankly, it gets to a certain point is I don't care if they beat you over the top. Don't let them beat you with a freaking slant. Don't let them beat you with that same route they have beat you with over and over and over again. You have to stop that and make them do something different. Uh, Sean Lewis, let's get to the offensive side of things. He said that 
Um, again, YouTube, you get a lot of stuff on that YouTube. I mean, it's a good inside look at the program. Uh, he, each coach got an opportunity to go up, speak in front of the team, and Sean Lewis said he coached to win. He threw it on third down to win. He did certain things to win. Um, you know, look, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. You know, you're going to make decisions, and I don't, I don't mind being aggressive, but, you know, at the end of the game, um, it seemed like the whole identity or the whole scheme like changed in the fourth quarter. There's like, oh no, oh crap. And then it kind of developed based on that. But I I really don't have a problem with throwing it on third downs in the third quarter, things like that. You got to move the football. You still have to have the, if the coaches are going to say play like it's zero, zero, they kind of have to coach that way too. Now you don't want to be reckless, but I don't have a huge problem with that. So I, I have much less issue with, with that. I, I, I tend to agree. That's more of a philosophical thing, right? How do you adjust how you coach based on the score and what you're doing? I think there are certain things, and and, and you guys can maybe interject if you feel like I'm saying something that's inaccurate because I didn't get a chance to watch live and watch. I have not actually watched this full game through. But to me, there's, there's certain things in the second half. You want to keep throwing? Fine. Let's maybe try to throw within the boundaries. Let's try to make sure we're keeping that clock running. Let's let's run that clock down below 10 every time we're snapping the ball. Let's minimize the number of plays. Let's maybe set ourselves up for situations where if it's third and long, eh, maybe we don't throw it 10, 15 yards down the field, which is probably unlikely that you're completing that, that, that pass in that situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is where we throw that swing pass, that screen pass to the running back. Let him get the ball in his hands, try to make something happen, still get that first down. But if he doesn't, now that clock's ticking. That clock's running. Now you're taking away time and possessions from the defense. So I think from a philosophical standpoint, I'm fine. If you want to still coach aggressively, but thinking about things like that where let's eat as much clock every opportunity as we can to minimize the possessions for Stanford. Well, they, they still squandered opportunity, though, right now. So these, these are the second-half possessions by Colorado uh, that I'm going to read. They had the ball in the second half, one, two, three, Four, five, six times. Okay, the Buffs had the ball six times in the second half. Turn, and this is according to ESPN. Turnover on downs, punt, punt, turnover on downs, touchdown, punt. So there wasn't the production. I mean, they moved the ball a little bit on those turnover on downs. They had a nine play, eighteen, nine play, eighteen yards. Whew, that's not great. Nine play, eighteen <laughs> yard drive to start the half, and then the next turnover on downs. Nine plays, eight yards, and then the last. Uh, oh, that was the only. Ter- those were the only two. Well, just a little bit of frame reference is what I was just saying. Eat as much clock as you can. The longest drive, and I'm looking at this real quick right now. The longest drive in terms of time used on the clocks by the Buffs in the second half was three minutes and 21 seconds. They only one time held the ball for three well, minutes. L- l- let's go over all of them quickly. There's only six times. Two minutes, 51 seconds. 2 minutes, 28 seconds, 1 minute, 12 seconds, 3 minutes, 21 seconds, 1 minute, 32 seconds, and 2 minutes and 11 seconds. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I hadn't seen that or seen that stat, but that's a very good point. And Even though with the 29 to nothing halftime lead, uh, I believe the uh, disparity on the play clock, uh, Stanford was plus, uh, I think, 3 or 4 minutes, wow. even, even with that. So. Well. And then you throw in as well, and I think we need to, and I think rightfully so, it needs to be brought up, um, being the most penalized team in the country. Um, you can't do that. Um, not, that's, how, that's how you get drives of nine plays and 18 yards, the is Buffaloes. you're shooting yourself in the foot. You had four, four calls of 12 men on the field. That's discipline. 
Right. That's paying attention. Right. That's that's not on coaches. And that's on players. And that's the the for the most part, these penalties are not effort penalties. No, these are mental mm-hmm. penalties, mm-hmm. mental mistakes after the whistle penalties. Prob- you know, probably proper- the biggest penalty of the night was Travis Hunter. Yep. And believe oh. me, I was sitting in section two twenty. <sighs> Row 53, row, or seats 32 and 33, if you want to come see me, I was in You know ear. you're a real diehard fan if you can picture right exactly in the stadium where Ryan was. <laughs> but it was right in front of you? Yeah, it, it, was, right, it was right in front of me. And um, honestly, with, with as big of a debacle as that game was, that one penalty probably cost the you Buffs know, the game. It, it was it the was, it was, one. It was a third and 15. And they threw it out of the back of the end zone. And 15-yard, automatic first down. What does Stanford do? They score a touchdown. 17 (sighs) penalties, 127 yards. That's crazy. That's crazy. The Buffs are averaging just shy of 10 penalties a game this year. And look, you know, we have this whole discussion as the players, the coaches – I don't know if that should even be the discussion. This should, the discussion should be, how do we fix this? Who's going to be the one to fix this? How do we solve these issues? I don't know how they're happening, but it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But, but these coaches are not new. These are a lot of veteran coaches who have been around, and they say they're working on it in practice. Like, they're saying, we do this in practice over and over. These guys get it. Then the game comes, and to quote, well, let's not quote Prime, but to, but to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase Coach Prime, he said, what happens is someone's running off the field. They think they see something. They get confused and they stop. And so now they yeah. come up in. So that's yeah. I I, and I and I actually am going to go back to one of the the videos that I saw uh, through YouTube. Uh, you know, while I'm trying to stay up with the bus while I was out, uh, it was kind of Coach Prime really calling out this uh, team and and and. You know them realizing the opportunities they have, them really taking advantage of the opportunities, and and, and I think that kind of ties in a little bit with some of these penalties. Like, how serious are you about this? How much do you really care about being great, and how much do you just want this perception that you're great? Hmm. You know, and 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 that's if you're really willing to put in the work, you're you need to be mentally stronger than that, mentally more focused than that in those moments, not to make those crucial. Errors. Uh, Travis Hunter had 140 snaps. You know, I didn't know if he was going to be on a snap count. I thought last week I mentioned it that, you know, I mean, if it were up to me, it probably should be. And there were reports before the game that he was going to be on a snap count, but 140 snaps. So he was out there for a lot. And, and I'm going to reference something that Joel Klatt brought up in his podcast, It's it's which everyone, we all love Joel Klatt. He has a great podcast yeah, as well. Sure. We, we obviously want you to listen to this show and only this show, but if you're going to listen to another and show... And only, no, who cares about Joel that? Klatt, to, Joel Klatt is a good one your, to listen to. Put selfish there. Put it in your repertoire. Um, but uh, he, he talked about that and, and something that he brought up that I hadn't really thought about. Forget... A lot of people are coming out of the woodworks now saying, well, that's just too many snaps for a guy all year round. No, 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 no. That was not anything anyone was saying on any game leading up to this. Now, all of a sudden, it was a problem this game. Well, why was it a problem this game? Travis Hunter has been out of football for a month now. Okay, Not only has he not been practicing on the field, he has not been able to stay in shape, the cardio, all that. He had an organ injury, a lacerated liver, which means he had to spend multiple weeks basically doing no conditioning at all. Right, right, exactly. I think that that's something that should have been kept in mind. He seemed gassed. 
by the end of that game. Well, 13, whatever his name was, A.O. Manor, I mean, he was, they targeted him, I saw, I think, 19 times. He had 13 catches. Or, excuse me, uh, let me get this right here. I believe it was 19 targets. He had 13, yeah, 13 catches, 294 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, he had a 97-yard catch. <laughs> the silence after that is just so perfect. They didn't care who they didn't care who was guarding him. They nope. didn't care where Travis was. Travis Hunter should be a player where he's guarding whoever he is and they're locked down and see who can do whatever they want to on the other side. That wasn't the case. They didn't they didn't really care where he was on the field. Kept throwing at him, kept throwing at him. Yeah, well and and listen, uh, I I noticed it during the game. Um and it should look familiar to everybody who watched that game they were running tim tebow's offense (laughs) the only pass they threw were slants and they ran the quarterback a ton and it was effective the tebow offense tebow god the days (laughs) let's not go back to those days sporting a tebow all right uh stats for the game shador was 33 of 47 400 yards five touchdowns one interception and it's funny i come away from these games and I know Shador has great games I'm a huge Shador fan I think he's going to have a great career but it's he sort of has these I don't know maybe you disagree with me but that seemed like a a, a quiet 400 maybe it's the way the second half went I know it was a huge first half but uh yeah I don't know I also think and I mentioned this well well, Tyler real quick before you move off of that is when when you only have let's see 20 carries to your running backs in a situation where you're up 21 29 nothing yeah you're gonna have a quiet 400 yards passing right you know that they—that's another one of those things. Again, hey, schematically, if this is how your offense runs, great. But you need to find ways to use that passing game as as an extension of the running game. That's something you talked about in the show last week. That's what the Buffs needed to do. Well, they did, uh, and they—I mean, look, the short passing game needs to be better in terms of the not necessarily West Coast specific style of offense, but snapping the ball and getting that out of his freaking hands. Like I said this before the season started, Shadour holds onto the ball too long. He just does like, and I, again, you can have the chicken or eggs of the offense. What schemes are they are they running? Is it the receivers not getting up? Whatever it is, he did it at Jackson when his receivers were getting a lot of separation. He's doing it this year. This was one of my concerns, and fans get upset when you say things like this. Oh, you don't know. It's this is a concern. This is really happening. So I think that that is an issue, and, and NFL scouts are talking about it. I heard someone on a radio interview this morning on a prominent national show talking about it. So. Uh, that I think has to change. I mean, may, or maybe not. Maybe there's people who say, or you know, coaches or fans who would say, no, I just need to change. He's tenth of the country completion percentage. He has, you know, he's he's the first, you know, number one in the Pac-12 in yards. Why does he need to change? Well, maybe, maybe that's the way he's going to play. Maybe that's the way he does play. But it seems to me to be more efficient, both for the sacks and this offense to get the ball out of his hands quicker. So. Um, rushing the ball, Shadour had 13 carries for 37 yards. A lot of those were not designed runs. Uh, Dylan Edwards had seven carries for 33 yards. Anthony Hankerson, eight carries for 25 yards. Still kind of that one-two punch we're getting this year. Well, the top two rushers, not necessarily one-two, because Alton McCaskill had six carries for 23 yards, and he's kind of working his way into the mix. Uh, Xavier Weaver, one rush for 14 yards and a touchdown. He's gotten the ball a couple times recently and gotten in the end zone. Uh, receiving, Travis Hunter led the team. That's where he kind of shined this game was on offense. 13 catches for 140 and two touchdowns, and it's funny. Now you're hearing everyone say, yeah, he shouldn't be going both ways. One bad game. Yeah. One, <laughs> one game. And now it's crazy. You shouldn't do this. This is why, oh, this is why, you know, Power 5 teams don't do this. Well, I think he'll be 
he'll be fine. You know, he 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 still is generational. He still is elite. Give him some time to get back. I saw his. Uh, he's got like a. I don't know whether it's a. I need to learn more about this because I'm not super up on the technology or the social media stuff. But it was like a a video cast of him talking in what looked like his room. Have you seen this? Yeah, he does this a lot, and he's usually in some some comfy-looking jammies. It's called onesie. 12 Talks. 12 oh, Talks. okay. I'm into it. So that's uh, it's catchy. But but he was saying, you know, he I loved his attitude. I loved his – because we often project ourselves on these athletes when they have just different mindsets than we do. I'm not going to lie. I'd be, I'd be a lot more fragile than that. I have a day like that at work. I'm like, oh, <laughs> My confidence is a little shaky the next day, right? He's like, "Yeah, we're gonna be fine." You know, I got beat a little bit. Get humbled. We'll shape up. We'll get ready for next. Game. He, he's totally. He's gonna be fine. He's going to be okay. And this whole idea of like Travis Hunter going as a high draft pick, the NFL scouts really, really having great things to say about him. That's not going anywhere. That's not changing. He's still gonna be. And again, I'd like to see where field. he's at two weeks from now or a week and a half from now when he's gotten and now he's been practicing for a couple of weeks he'll have this week off and then he'll be really i think back at 100 percent physically well, well, and ready for that but game. something else that i mentioned in the preseason and again i think a lot of people lost their minds when i said this because people don't like any criticism you start criticizing a team where the fans already have a bit of a low self-esteem and people don't love that but um i i, I questioned his build his frame and it wasn't just me it's not i don't just like watch and say these things i i, I kind of like to stay where I know what I'm talking about, when I don't, you know, I like to rely on others. Now, you know, there's certain things that happen during the course of the projection process. Not everyone's correct with this stuff, but I did mention his frame. Other people have brought up his frame. He's a little thin to be going both ways, playing 150 and dominating, you know, one through four quarters in the Pac-12 for 12 weeks. That's what I'm saying. Like that, it's not that he can't do it for a game or two or six. It's that. Over the course of a season playing these opponents, it's going to catch up with you. In the NFL, it's for sure going to catch up with you. So that's, I think, why we don't see it. There are a lot of players who I believe could do this, but I, I think that we don't see it for a reason. Now, I'm not against it. I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, look, because of that one game, let's let's you know, let, let, let's bring this up as a discussion. But I mentioned it. It's coming to fruition a little bit. Not, I don't want to say coming to fruition, but it's it's proven to be maybe more of a concern than we thought before. He took a hit talking about Travis Hunter in the end zone this last week, and he was wincing a little bit before right in that spot again, and he went to the sideline, and he's there, and coach had to come up and ask if he's okay. You know, in the fourth quarter, again, took a hard hit, had to come out for a play. So, you know, I know it's football that's going to happen, but the more you play, and he's – I think he needs to put a little weight on a little bit. But anyway – you know, I know I that can, I can help here comes that. the hate mail with that. Okay. Uh, Xavier Weaver had seven receptions, 124 yards, two touchdowns. Jimmy Horn, five catches, 60 yards. He's dealing with a couple of nagging injuries, but uh, five catches for him. Javon uh, 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 Antonio, four catches, 34 yards. And then Dylan Edwards, three catches for 24 yards. You know, it's funny. You look at Dylan, and he started off the season so hot. He had... Uh, Six carries for 24 yards against TCU, but that's the game he also had five catches for 135 and three touchdowns. Now, that's not expected to be replicated week after week, but his production in the passing game, I thought, was going to increase as the season went on. And this isn't a case of some other running back getting the carries. It's simply a case of a schematic uh, decision by Sean Lewis and the staff to use these receivers and tight ends a little bit more instead of the running backs. But in the last three games, Dylan Edwards has six catches. Right, the first four he had what uh, 11, 14, 17. So things have changed, and I'm not sure that's not going to be 
addressing this bye week. See, the, the bye week doesn't come at a great time because you usually want to use the bye week when you're banged up, have stuff you want to go over, maybe off a win, you're excited. After a loss like this, you want to get back out there as quickly as possible, but it's not all bad with the bye week this week. There's things that can be adjusted. There's schematic things that can be changed. And when I say that, Joel Klatt was one, uh, one of the people who mentioned this. Colorado's not adjusting. Offense, defense, there's not a plan B for what happens when the initial plan doesn't work. They keep doing the same stuff over and over. That's what the X's and O's experts are saying. So maybe this bye week is a bit of a reset implementation process, offense and defense getting ready for a tough five-game schedule to end the season. Yeah, and, and additionally, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see some of these well-off media, some of the other YouTube videos that come out of this next couple weeks stretch because I fully expect this coaching staff is going to get after this team, address some of these discipline issues. And you know what my coaches used to do when we had discipline issues? You bear crawl the whole practice long, right? You're doing conditioning. You're doing things that beat it into your head that if you make these bad, dumb decisions, bad things happen, right? And you start to really work through these things. So I'm hoping this coaching staff is getting after them this week and into next week as well. Uh, any other thoughts on Stanford? Uh, some quick uh, game stats before we turn the page here. Uh, first downs, Colorado had 33-29. to 29. Total yards, very close. Colorado had 532 to Stanford to Stanford's 523. Uh, passing yards, 400 for the Buffs, 399 for Stanford. Rushing yards, 132 for the Buffs, 124 for Stanford. And uh, penalties, 17 for the Buffs, 7 for Stanford. Look, these teams played dead even. The only problem is it was 1-4 Stanford in Boulder. Time of possession, 34 minutes for Stanford. Well, almost 35 minutes for Stanford. Just about 25 minutes for the buff. So, overall, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, any, any thoughts before we turn the page? I'll just kind of go back to what I said as we started the show and my, my hot rant there that I am concerned. I'm concerned of how this team reacts because you look at this, this seems to me like that situation that is a season-crushing loss, right? Let's look at a scenario where the Buffs win this game, okay? However manner you win it, the Buffs go to 5-2. and two. You are one game away from bowl. You look down they, the rest of this and schedule. If they, if they blew them out, if the Buffs continued on at halftime and won 42 nothing, 49 nothing, they may be ranked, yeah. right? Because you totally only have two scenario. losses to USC and Oregon. You've beaten every other team on your schedule. The Buffs could potentially be ranked or in one of those teams in the, in the footnotes that's like, got votes, right? Yeah. right. So you would have at least well, been there. And so. again, you look at the rest of this schedule, it is hard to find a win. It is hard to find a win on there. Uh, we, Jared we all keeps at, wanting to jump to no, the schedule thing. No, I have we, that for the end of the show. Jared, let's just do that now. Let's <laughs> talk about the schedule. Well, well, okay. All right, all right, you, right. you keep shoehorning it in here. You hey, want to hey, force I, it. Hey, I sent a text out to the group and said, hey, what are we talking about this week? And, and I didn't get a, get a, hey, wait till the end of the show. We're going to talk about schedule. Uh, uh, the, the game that, that stands out to me that I had circled as a win all year long, Arizona. Arizona yeah, they look good. just took Washington all the way to the wire. Then they beat the crap out of Washington State, and I believe that was on the road. I, I could be wrong on that. but Yes. Yeah, they beat Washington State on the road. I'm game. actually a little bit surprised beat they're not ranked. They, they, they took USC in overtime. You know, I mean, this is a team that they're not ranked now. If they keep playing the way that they are, they will be ranked by the time CU plays them. I don't look at this schedule and see a just a win, right? But if you're at five wins, if you're at five wins going into this stretch, hey, find one win out of the next five games 
find one win. They're probably an underdog, by the way, in every one of these games. Well, hold, hold on for a second. Colorado has performed exceptional this year as the underdog. Maybe this is what we want. The games they don't show up is where, well, when they're favorite. they did at halftime for Stanford, but when they're favored. Huge favorites against Colorado State, huge favorites against Stanford. It's just the reason I say this could be a season-crushing loss is it is such a different outlook no. on the rest of this See, to get yourself to six. I don't agree six. with that. I don't to agree get with that. Because here's the thing. If this team ends up 4-8, and eight, hmm, boy, that's hard to feel like that's not a major, major disappointment. Sure, but You, you also, get to six wins, you feel like this was a huge success. You also have to remember this as Buffs fans, and I'm not just specifically talking to Jared here. I saw it said by somebody else. I apologize that I don't remember who said it. But you have to remember that this team won one game last year. Arguably the worst team in the country last year. Sure, they won. What did, what did the Buffs start off at? For, what was their record to begin the year? 3-0. Then they went to 3-2 and two and then got to 4-2. Okay, so you have to remember that the early wins against TCU, against Nebraska, those are kind of a mirage. This is a team that that um, that overstepped what they should have been. So you can't come around and see a loss like this to Stanford or finishing four and eight and say that this is a colossal failure. Are you? It's not. You have to remember that that this this year, out of everything, should be a reminder to Buffs fans of what this could be and where it's going. See, I, I, I actually 100% disagree that if, if you end up at four wins on this season, this is 100% a disappointment of a season. The turnaround of this roster, 68, 69, whatever it is, new scholarship players, big-time players coming in, and you're telling me that got you three wins? Well, that got you three extra wins? Look, I think this is a real discussion amongst Buffs fans. What is success? What is not success? The over-under in Vegas was three and a half wins. So, I mean, in the sports betting market, which is often a very, very... It's, you I call barely, it the barely, you exactly. barely surpassed that. <laughs> no, That's what I'm saying. To, to, to call this a success would be for okay, me to hold get on. beyond Hold that. on for a second. We are skipping a lot of steps here. We have five games to play. And I know, as fans, we all want to pencil in wins and losses. Yeah. We all do this in the preseason. When we look at the... Exactly. When we look at the schedule. So... The, we upset. Did any of us thought you know we were really going to go on the road to TCU and then beat Nebraska right. and then beat CSU? So upsets are going to happen. Us getting upset is going to happen. I think Buff I fans think, a little butt hurt right now. I do too. Last. We see us lose to Stanford in the second half in that fashion, and everyone's like, okay, now we can pencil in loss here, loss here. I mean, well, it's at, okay. Yeah. So, so the next five games at UCLA, of course, after this week's bye week at UCLA, home against Oregon State, home against Arizona at Washington State, at Utah. And, and just real quick before we dive into anything specifically, one thing I will say within the Pac-12 that has been shown over the last four or five weeks as we've entered Pac-12 play is every game is up for grabs, right? You're seeing just about every game is a close matchup, is going down to the wire. doesn't matter if it's USC and Arizona or Stanford involved in the game. Cal's playing close games. So there is not a lot of disparity from top to bottom in terms of everyone is strong in the Pac-12 this year. So, yes, there are a lot of games that the Buffs can win. But again, to the point that I was bringing up before, I actually think as we're looking right now, there's a very strong likelihood that CU is an underdog in every remaining game. Yeah, potentially. I mean, home against Arizona, that's that going to be, be yeah, maybe the a one. question mark. But no, I mean, I mean, look, 
I just don't want to start being doom and gloom and saying and have the debate now is a four win season good or bad because it look right. if we end four and eight let's do that in, sure. in the first week of December right right now though five games left to go uh, and at UCLA the first test is going to be a tough one but it's not unwinnable there's a lot of things that UCLA does that Colorado can actually handle this bye week also gives the Buffs an opportunity to prep for that so we'll dive into that specifically next week but. You know, the Buffs can win some of these games. I have hope. They, I have they, hope. They can, and I guess where my real frustration, the overall frustration, even beyond the one game, and where I am really frustrated with where this team is and their lack of progression here is these are the games you can't lose. These are the games, if you want to be a good team, you don't lose this game. You want to be a good, a good team, team you can't be leading the NCAA in penalties. Good teams don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that maybe this isn't a good team, right? That's where my frustration comes in. I believe the talent on this roster is enough. The coaching staff is enough. This should be a good team. I'm not saying a great team, but this is a team that should have gotten and should hopefully still potentially get to six wins. This is a six-win team. I don't care what the roster looked like last year. I don't care the win and loss last year. When you look at this team, when you look at the games in front of them, this should be a six-win team. Jared's fired up this week. Sure is. How's he I doing am. back there? So Ryan, the producer, has to deal with the volumes. How's He's you, all over the board, yeah, dude. I, I mean, see Ryan. He looks actually, like I think DJ I'm less all over this going. week. I'm just high this week. I'm just on <laughs> yeah. the high end. It's a constant struggle. <laughs> yelling, I know. Um, okay, well... Uh, the 8 p.m. start last week. I can't stand these yeah. late starts. It's a, it, hey, just go to Hawaii. It's fantastic. When it comes <laughs> sure up. it is. Four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm just sitting go. at the bar. It was so great. Well, you got about so 13 great. Mai Tais. Yes. Yeah, yeah, everything's oh, good. Oh, my God. Okay, yes. but but uh, speaking of schedule here, did you see the Washington State games already scheduled for 8.30 p.m.? Oh, my God. So we got to do that. UCLA is going to be five thirty. I hey, don't like these. Just late can't start wait times. for the Big Twelve. Can't wait for the Big Twelve. None of them eight eight o'clock start sure. times there. Well, and I, I will say too, just just to that point, I know Prime said something about the eight o'clock kick. Yeah, he doesn't like it. You know, you were at the game as well. I'm yeah. sure a lot of our listeners were at the game. There was no emotion in the in the building even before the first quarter kickoff. Right. I felt it was flat. People were standing up. It was, a, it was, up. A it was flat. just. I was just. And and you know, for a football team that that. You do rely on that home crowd. Folsom Field should be a tough place to play. Right. And when they're not getting that, I could see, you know, they're, they're young kids um, just not getting up for the game. You know, it's, it's, it was colder. Probably their first – probably the coldest game of this year, late. And, it, you know, they came out like it. It is ridiculous. It is kind of oh, ridiculous absolutely. that you ask – because – most fan. I mean, let, let's just do a quick off the t- off the top of the head. All three of us guess what percentage of fans that come to the games don't live in Boulder. I mean, I think it's got to be at least eighty percent. Sure, if not I was going to say upwards of ninety. Probably ninety yeah. percent. People are going to Denver. I personally live with traffic about an hour and a half away. Hour yeah. forty Short minutes. Short of driving to like Castle Rock or Pueblo, there's no further south than what you're doing. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it takes a while. Like, and look, I'm not saying television network should schedule games around the proximity of fans and how close they are to that. Right. But it is ridiculous to to in just in general to have these games scheduled. You know, they they don't consider fans I think when this goes into and maybe they shouldn't, you know, maybe this is a whole different discussion the uh, path I'm getting down, but it drives me nuts. I mean, and I will say this also, I go to bed probably earlier than a lot of people. You do. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I'm yawning at halftime of that game trying to keep it going. I, I'm but. actually shocked you guys stayed. I am. I'm actually a little shocked yeah, you yeah. guys stayed. What does uh, David Putty say on Seinfeld? Got to support the team. Got to support the team. Uh, Real quick, before I I almost forgot to touch on this with the Stanford game, Uh, the uniforms. 
And something I had actually pointed out uh, early in the season that I, I hoped with all the energy put into the uniforms this, this year, the classics were out. But the classics were the same classics I've had an issue with for about 10 years now. No, Get rid of the again. damn tan pants. Those are not gold. <laughs> That's not gold. That does not match your helmet. Give me some stinking gold pants. They, they cannot figure it out. Why is it so hard to figure that out? Jared and his colors over here. It's a thin here. line, man. Yeah, you, you go too far one way, it's tan. You go far, too I don't know, far the let, other why, way, Let's give you're a call yellow. to Notre Dame because I, I, I don't think Notre Dame has this problem. I didn't think that once. I didn't. Oh, that no. didn't so cross my mind Literally once. the first thought. I pulled it on. I was like, please be go- No, they're tan. They're still tan. They're still tan. You must just have a weird, you know, everyone sees color differently. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, me. So maybe, maybe it is. Me. I think it probably, Could probably have been the is TV. You. I was I also on the uh, the hotel TV in Hawaii. Could have <laughs> just been the TV. Maybe it's me. All right. If you own a business, know anyone who owns a business, want to make the most of your dollars. We know how how valuable it is that you get good work done, but you don't spend a ton on it. Consider freelance work from Fiverr. Fiverr offers professionals doing professional work, and you can save money. You don't have to pay all these ridiculous overhead going through companies for things like graphic design, website design, things like that. So I highly recommend. We've used them here at Woos Media for for those things. You know, graphic designers are expensive if you, if you go through companies. You, you find a freelancer, they'll do a great job for sometimes half the price. So uh, use the link in the promo code for a huge discount on your first freelance experience. It's not a specific discount, right? 10, 20, 30, 40%. It varies based on what you're going to use them for. But if you want to save, click the link in the show notes for your first freelance experience with Fiverr today. All right, let's get to uh, evaluating CU so far. And I know that's kind of what we've been doing, but in terms of actual stats, and uh, let's kind of break things down numerically. Where does Colorado rank? in the nation heading into the bye week and a couple stats. Uh, they are offensively 31st in yards per game. Uh, currently, CU is actually dead last and sacks given up per game. So I think it's, despite the fact that that it's bad numbers for Shador and he's getting sacked, he's getting pressured, I think it's actually impressive that this offense, despite all that, can still be so productive. 31st in yards per game. Shador is 10th in the country in uh, completion percentage. Number one in the Pac-12 in yards. He's completing, Shador is, 72.3% of his passes. And he is under constant pressure. I think that's actually a huge uh, thing to celebrate. You just used the perfect word choice. This offense is succeeding in spite of this offensive line, not because of it in any capacity. We see that with the lack of running success. Uh, Coach Prime has talked about that he feels the running back room is the deepest room they have, and yet they seem to be able to find no success running the ball. The fact that Shador Sanders in this offense passing the ball is succeeding is shocking given how poorly this offensive line has performed. Uh, Ryan, what do you think about that? Uh, 31st in yards per game, Shador succeeding some... I mean, is this succeeding? Is this is this what we're looking for? I mean, I know he had a couple it's bad decisions. It's just stat padding, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting the haters saying that. What do you think about Shador under pressure uh, performing like he is? No, I think it's great. I think it truly shows you what kind of an athlete and what kind of quarterback Shador is. Um, you know, as far as the, the rushing uh, aspect of it, this is why you're not seeing... Um, called runs for Shador he's already getting hit enough we don't need him taking any unnecessary shots however I am a little disappointed um with the lack of effort I know I've made that clear in previous weeks uh of the podcast and also I'm, I'm effort from who uh effort of of running the football oh, okay just just by the coaches just uh as as a general um game plan and I I'm really having a 
trouble grasping what the process of who's getting the bulk of the carries. Um, I mean, for God's sakes, Wilkerson was huge in the TCU win. Haven't seen him. Um, True. Constant effort to get Dylan Edwards involved. Now, sometimes, you know, it's it's Hankerson more often. McCaskill had a good uh, first half against Stanford. Didn't see him at all in the second half except for on special teams. So I, I'm just not sure what the game plan is. If you want to be a pass-heavy offense, that's fine. But it's getting to the point where opposing teams aren't even worried about running the football anymore. Well, and you make a good point there, too. It's like you got to hope that there's some sort of like thought process, that there is a specific reason why they're doing the things that they're doing. But from the outside looking in, it, it sure just kind of looks like we're just grabbing a name out of a hat. And, okay, you go yeah. in this play, right? It does not seem like there's a whole lot going into that decision-making because even Coach Prime has touched on that, that, yeah, we got to do a better job of getting McCaskill in the game, getting him the ball. It's like, well, okay, what is that effort? Who is who is making that decision? Who is making that effort to make that happen? Because since he's made that comment in the two weeks since, McCaskill hasn't been that involved in the game, so uh, it just doesn't kind of definitely doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of thought process. But, but they have mentioned that the running back room is the deepest, so I think that maybe they are just giving these guys opportunities. It's a week by week thing. Whoever earns it in practice, and I also do believe that a shuffle on the offensive line and some more stability in in, in talent will lead to maybe more stability with the running backs. Right, they they're learning who they have with these running backs, and. I think next year you'll you'll see more like specific roles defined. I, I think that'll be a very curious thing to watch through the recruiting and transfer portal process. And yeah. one last thing, real quick, before we move off of the this passing offense and Shadur Sanders, you you kind of brought up the that that it it really is a positive from him what he's been able to do while under duress. One of the things you look at in top drafted quarterbacks, I'm going to use a guy in Bryce Young, number one overall draft pick last year, spent three years, two years, three years, whatever, as the Alabama starting quarterback. Not too many times you're on a duress as the Alabama starting quarterback. You have great receivers. You have a great offensive line. You have great running backs. Guys are always open. Well, what's the problem that happens when you go to Carolina in the NFL? You don't have any good receivers. You don't have any good running backs, and your offensive line sucks. So you're under constant duress. He has really, really struggled in that. I actually think this is going to be viewed as a positive for Shadur Sanders, a guy that has proven how he can handle being under pressure and still be successful. Right. I think NFL scouts, NFL coaches are going to look at that and go, wow, he can come into this team that's not perfect. We're drafting number one overall or top five overall, whatever. If he goes high in the draft, he's most likely going to a team that's not very good. That That's somebody that you can build around that knows how to handle that duress. Yeah, no, I've heard NFL scouts talk about the fact that if you're in college and you have a clean pocket, your receivers are getting open by five yards. It, that's why a lot of these quarterbacks for a long time, you know, the NFL was filled from quarterbacks from Delaware State and, and, and these smaller colleges. That's that's why that is. So I, I think it's actually kind of a positive in these weird ways for Shadour specifically, but you don't want to see it for this offense. Overall, though, CU does have the number two passing offense in the country, 346 yards per game rushing. Colorado has the oh, 122nd offense in terms of rushing yards per game at 86.3. So clear difference there. And, uh, you know, until the Buffs as a team find a way to run the football, I'm not sure. You know, I know that there's teams out there that do rely on the pass and, and, and they do it fine. And Shador is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but I think you got to be more two-dimensional than this. I don't, I don't think you can rely on this. 
Oh, and yeah, I think we'll again, uh, the, the second half against Stanford is a perfect example where if you felt like you could rely on that running game, you lean on it in the second half and you let it carry you to a victory. Uh, before Let's move off the offense in just a moment, but offensive line. We don't have a ton of stats right now for them. Um, it's pretty clear that they need to play better in the second half. I know there's been injuries. Tyler Brown obviously didn't get to play this year. And there's been some... Do- do we know what's because I haven't checked in lately anything with with Tyler Brown, but you know there's been some like reversals this year on appeals and things like that. Tez Walker caught a touchdown for North Carolina last week. Yes, exactly. I know, so. and I I did see like when these reversals started happening, there was a little bit of a clamoring like, okay, so so Tyler Brown then right. you know and let's since, check on that yeah, and come think, next week with some information on that. But um, it's good to see at least the NCAA doing something about that. Uh, anyway, uh, just want to mention the offensive line quickly there. All right, defense. Uh, defensive stats here. The Colorado defense is 126th. By the way, there's 133 total teams. CU is 126th in yards allowed per game, giving up 473. They are 128th in passing yards allowed per game, giving up 316. They are 82nd in rushing yards allowed per game at 157. But some good news, Colorado is actually number two uh, turnover margin in the Pac-12, not national in the Pac-12. They're plus six. Uh, so they're definitely getting turnovers, which has helped them this year, right? Definitely helped this team. Uh, defense helping out a little bit here. They're getting those turnovers. And the offense protecting it, only giving up uh, six times. Well, and not being um, stupid with the football either. Yeah. yeah you exactly. know, that, that goes into the differential as well. Um, I have here, you know, the coaching staff and Charles Kelly. We kind of mentioned him, though, you know. I think that the backlash is a little unwarranted. I kind of disagree with what Jared said earlier. I think he's doing what he needs to do. Maybe Jared was onto something. He's kind of coaching as if he has a team full of five stars, and he maybe doesn't right now. Um, but I think he's doing a, a good job. And, and you got to understand, this is a full season. He's going to make some changes. I think we need to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt right now. See what happens after this bye week. You know, they, we always talk about coaches. How are they after a bye week? How are they after a bye week? NFL, college, you get an identity as a coach. Do you do well during bye weeks or not? We don't really know how Dion's going to do after bye weeks in this in this kind of a schedule. You know, he didn't have the schedule at Jackson. So. Well, the other thing, too, he was an undefeated team in any bye week that he went to in Jackson, right? That He, he wasn't uh, a, I mean, a team. It, I, I'm not sure exactly. The man he wasn't a, loss, a team yeah. coming off of a loss like this, right? Like, this is his first time reacting and, and, you know, being in this situation and seeing how he comes out reacting on that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how they handle this uh, th- this week and how the bus come out next week. You know, I, I we've mentioned YouTube a million times on this show, but uh, I like what I'm seeing in the videos. You know, the, the players yep. seem like they've moved on. They seem like they really healthy. You know, dealing with it from a healthy mental point of view. But we'll see. Uh, let's talk Pac-12 standings overall because that's what matters at the end of the day for. In conference now, obviously the Tyler, bus. Real quick before yes. we get to that, I yes. just looked up here uh, Tyler Brown's situation. This is uh, per uh, SportsIllustrated.com, SI.com, as of October fifth. So this is a couple weeks old now, but they did say that with the reversal on Tez Walker denial, basically what it does is it opens up for the NCAA to re-review anyone else they have denied, and that uh, Tyler Brown has resubmitted his eligibility waiver to Look at the Jared NCAA. R- reporting news so that has already been reported. Nothing has, nothing has been changed as of now, but he is now reappealing that to the NCAA since that reversal went through. It's kind of like a uh, court, right? Once the Supreme Court establishes something, now it reopens other cases as a result of it. So hopefully we'll see 
it's hard pressed to believe that anything's going to happen maybe this season. Unfortunately, we're, we're, we're at this point halfway through it, but who knows? Maybe somebody that could be playing the last yeah. uh, four weeks no, of the season. It, yeah, I think, we, I think we were, you know, some of us were uh, certainly under the impression that he had submitted that, but in terms of hearing back, I would, I would expect this to be timely, you know? They can't wait forever. I mean, the season goes quick. The college ball season is quick. They can't sit on their hands here. Now, it wouldn't be unlike the NCAA to pull an NCAA here. Yeah, get them eligible one week before the end of the season, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, okay. So, Pac-12 standings. Now, Colorado doesn't have a chance to really compete for the conference this year. But uh, let's look at what's going on right now in the Pac-12. The number one team is currently USC, despite their loss last week at Notre Dame because they have a 4-0 record in conference. Washington, still undefeated in conference, but 3-0. That's why they're second. Washington looks good, though. I tell you what. Uh, look very good. Oregon State is currently third with a 3-1 conference record, 6-1 overall. And then Oregon is fourth, 2-1 in conference, 5-1 overall. That's sort of like the top cluster of teams right there in the Pac-12 and then the next cluster would start with Utah who is 5 and 1, 2 and 1 in conference, but I think we can all agree Utah's not really in that same class as Oregon, Washington, USC, maybe Oregon State. I, I don't know. I'd have to go look at their schedule. It's just their for offense. The the year. Utah has an elite defense. We know Utah's elite defensively, very good. But if, you know, Cam Rising, it's looking more and more like they're going to redshirt him this year. Okay. Give him, you know, yeah. Here, here's what I'll say. So the rest of this year for uh, Utah, they play Oregon the 28th. Then they play at Washington uh, November 11th. They may not necessarily have a true chance at winning the Pac-12, but they can certainly be the disruptor. They could be the one that ruins someone's Pac-12 hopes. Well, well, they could be. I never doubt Kyle Whittingham. He's a great coach, but I'm not sure they have the offense to do that. Again, it all comes down to quarterback for them, and uh, I'm not sure they're going to figure it out this season. Again, it's looking like Cam Rising's not even going to play. Um, so behind Utah right now, who's 2-1 and one in conference, 5-1 and one overall, is Arizona, 2-2 two and two in conference, 4-3 and three overall. We mentioned how good they've looked, followed by UCLA and Washington State. Those are two interesting teams, right? UCLA and Washington State both left on CU's schedule and uh, both had up and down years so far, right? Washington State at one point was a top 15 team. Cam Ward was sneaking in to the Heisman discussion, and they've had a couple bad losses in a row. UCLA, a little inconsistent as well. Big win two weeks ago against Washington State, and then they lose last week. So those are kind of teams, you know, they're on the rise. They're, they're, they're playing well, but a little inconsistent. But they would round out that middle cluster of four, Utah, Arizona, UCLA, and Washington State. And then the final four teams. Colorado is uh, fourth last in the Pac-12, one and three, four and three overall. Cal is one and three, three and four overall. Stanford, one and three in conference, two and four overall. And then Arizona State, 0 and three, one and five overall. So that's what the Pac-12 looks like right now. Colorado kind of hanging in there, but you know, the pa as it's been reported on all year, the Pac-12 is probably the best conference this year, top to bottom. So you just kind of broke those out into the three tiers, right? You had your top four, your mm -hmm. middle four, and then the bottom four, which CU falls in that bottom four. As we're looking at this team and where we're projecting them through the rest of the year, do you guys feel like that's where they belong right now? Or do you think well, that they find their way into the mix in that middle tier this well, year? Well, let's remember, when we say bottom four, they're the best of the bottom four teams. So they, Yes, they are currently. So, yeah. so they're not dead last, right? So so that's something to remember here. But I think so far that's how they played, unfortunately. I know we have some big wins. There's been a lot of excitement. But we have to consider it's relative. That question is relative. We have to consider Washington State and UCLA and Utah and Oregon. Right now, I don't think Colorado has played deserving to be considered better than certainly USC, certainly Washington, Oregon State, 
Oregon, Utah, uh, UCLA, Washington State for sure. Arizona, I put them in the list too. I think they've looked very good this year. So, no, I think right now that's as good as we've played. It's not like, oh, we've played this amazing football, a couple bad losses, and this is where we are. I think this is accurate right now. End of the season, I don't see too much upward mobility that's realistic aside from Arizona. Now, they could maybe regress to who we thought they were in the preseason, but look, the Pac-12 is tough. Like I said, this is not a question of how good CU is. It's how good is CU relative to other Pac-12 teams. So that's, for me, where part of my sort of overall disappointment comes in right now, where the buffs are and what we really thought they would be as the course of the season started, where our expectations were. When you're telling me that this team is still, and I know, a very strong Pac-12. Don't don't get me wrong. This, this team... Uh, is, is, is or this conference is very different than it was two years ago. But when you're telling me we're still in that bottom third, that that's tough. That that feels disappointing to me. That that you couldn't make your way into the mid tier, into that more five hundred. And again, lots of season left to play. Lots of football left to play. We could find the buffs at the top of that middle tier still, right? If they go on a winning streak here towards the end of the day. That's at the end of the day, when we're talking at the end of the season, the buffs have to move their way out of that bottom tier, in my mind, to not be looked at as a disappointing season. All right. Um, let's get out of here on some predictions for this weekend. All right. Let's, let's look at – because obviously the buffs are off, so we're going to be watching some other football games. Uh, if you want to bet these games this weekend, I have a recommendation. Check out BetterEdge.com. Better Edge has gotten rid of the VIG, a.k.a. gotten rid of the risk for every sports better out there. Now, the interface is a little different. It's not going to be your classic you know, DraftKings, FanDuel interface – it's kind of like buying and selling stocks, if you've ever done that before. But I guarantee you, once you get used to it, it's so much fun, so different to bet on BetterEdge.com. Get rid of the minus 110, start winning more when you win, and losing less with you lo- when you lose with Better Edge. Put in promo code BUFFS for a free 20 bucks. You don't even have to deposit a penny. Sign up, use promo code BUFFS, and they'll give you a free $20. That's BetterEdge.com, promo code BUFFS. All right, uh, Penn State at Ohio State this weekend. Big game. Ohio State currently four and a half point favorites. Let's go against the spread, not pick winners and losers. Quick, rapid fire around the table. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State. Who are you taking, Jerry? Uh, I'm taking Ohio State. If this was in Penn State, I'd take them to win straight up. But Ohio State at home is going to win. Ryan, who you got? Comes down to quarterback play. I'm taking Drew Aller over. Um, what's the guy's name in Ohio State? Just slipped my mind. Kyle uh, McCord. McCord. Thank you. All right. Uh, I will take Ohio State, the home favorite. I think they pull away. Uh, Tennessee at Alabama. Uh, Alabama currently eight-point home favorites. Who are you taking here, Jared? I don't like that line. I definitely like Alabama to win, but I am going to take Tennessee to cover. I think this is less than a touchdown. Mm, okay, Ryan? I'm going Bama. No problems with the Vols. I'll take uh, – that's a close one. I'll lean Tennessee that game. It's going to be a good one, though. Uh, Duke at Florida State. I thought this was interesting. Florida State, minus 13. But remember, Duke's quarterback is questionable. That really comes down – Riley Leonard, I think, is his name. A lot of that game comes out of that. So uh, you got Duke on the road at Florida State, FSU, minus 13. Uh, You just provided some information to me I was not aware of. I would have been uh, all over Duke had I not known that their quarterback's (laughs) out. So that will push me to Florida State. But I'm not sold on them yet. I don't know. I don't know that they're an elite team yet. I'm I'm not quite sold. Ryan? Uh, I'm going Knowles. I am sold, and they will be in the playoff this year. Uh, yeah, if, if Duke's quarterback's out, I'm going Knowles. If he's in, I'm going Duke. All right, uh, Utah at USC, little Pac-12. Not after dark, just when it's getting dark, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, USC is minus 7 now. Touchdown favorite at home. Who you got? 
I really, really, really want to take Utah, but I don't think that I can. And USC has really struggled the last few weeks. It does seem kind of like a bounce back situation for them. So I will take USC to cover the touchdown spread. Ryan, Utah on the cover. Uh, I think actually USC uh, covers this one. To me, it comes down to, as we mentioned earlier, Utah isn't going to be able to move the football. Right, and I think their defense is very, very good, elite, top five defense in the country. But uh, I think over the course of sixty minutes, Caleb Williams and USC finds a way to pull away because Utah's not going to score. So I got uh, USC in that game, and then finally here, Clemson at Miami. Clemson three point road favorites at Miami. Who you got? Oh, I got Clemson all day <laughs> in this game. Come Prime? on. Uh, it's a tough one. I'm going to go with Clemson just because I can't trust the U. Yeah, all three of us are on the Tigers there. Did you guys hear Dabo Sweeney's comments that maybe they need to lose a few more games to get some of these bandwagon jumpers off of it? Yeah, that's what he wants. That's his desire. <laughs> How about you open up the transfer portal, Dabo? Yeah. Tyler, you know this is really <laughs> unfair dumb. of you to ask me to make these picks before I've gotten a chance to listen to College Football Tailgate because <laughs> this is how I make all of my picks based on what you tell me to pick on College Football Tailgate. Yeah. For those of you who are for listening plug, to me, not understanding what I'm talking about, you are missing my favorite show among the Woos Media Network, and that is the show that Tyler and Ryan do, which they'll be recording just after this. That is College Football Tailgate. Just search that in uh, whatever browser you're looking at right now and i promise you you will not be disappointed and he'll make you some money yeah i like to let my dog actually uh, take, get, uh, pick my games that's the secret i have she picks a tennis ball really yeah, somehow yeah. i knew tennis ball, this for a, years, tennis ball B. it's all been layla <laughs> i appreciate you all listening uh have a nice relaxing weekend without the buffs uh, you know look it's not it's, it's gonna be nice to just like take a breath right i always talk about this when when the broncos are out of the playoffs it's not good because your team's out of the playoffs, but it's kind of like, okay, we could just relax and watch football now. You know, it's kind of how this that kind of how this weekend's going to be in college. You yeah, get to be I a mean, casual fan yeah, for exactly. a change. It's been a I'm whirlwind since to be since the first week of September for Buffs fans. Yeah. So uh, take a break and just be thankful for where we're at. Yeah, okay, exactly. but how many times we should should have done an over under this? How many times will see you be brought up like through college well, football I, game I've heard, day? I've or, heard different uh, outlets say, "Is Dion going to be on game day or on?" Fox big kickoff oh, or whatever show or something, oh, like, yeah. something like that. He'll find his he way. He may on. make an the, appearance. The Fox guys love prime time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend, Buffs fans. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Buffs Nation podcast.